0: Hello back in it at page 39. How are we tonight, everybody? Today, this morning, this afternoon, wherever, whenever you're seeing this, uh, all three of you, um, thank you for listening. We got some good stuff on the way today. Today we're going to be reading page 39 to 59. We're reading from Owl by William Service. Parakeet. You would think one bird in the house would be enough, but our youngest, Grant, wanted to give Brother Will a parakeet for Christmas. While the newcomer was being fed and watered and his cage dialed up, Owl got a good long look at the proceedings. From behind his own bars, he stared unwaveringly at the other prisoner, and he crouched forward, ready to go. To dissipate that voracious longing, I gave Owl a piece of hairy beef. Impatiently, he took the thing in his beak, continued his watch over the parakeet, the strip of meat dangling limp. So narrow and intense was his focus that finally the beef dropped from his beak unnoticed like a cigarette butt from the slack lips of a thug. I told people of the encounter, keying it with owl's membership among the raptorial birds. A most vivacious Turinese woman gave her own most characteristic interpretation. Oh no, it was just that the owl was jealous. As a kindness to both birds for a while, we were able to keep both cages far apart, until convenience won out. It remains perfectly clear, contrary to the turn insight, that Owl dearly wants a parakeet of his very own. In spite of it all, one night the two cages ended up in the same room, and we even let Owl go free. A minute later, I had to unknot Owl's talons from the top of the other cage. To ease the tension, I covered the parakeet's cage top and three sides with towels, Owl meanwhile sulking out of sight on the refrigerator. Since the open back of the cage was to the wall, I more or less assumed that from Owl's point of view the green bird problem had been removed. Not so. Owl came back, bothered but coldly unconfused by the towel. He placed around on top of he paced around on top of the cage, then moved towards the back. Bracing himself, leaning way over, around and down, he glared through the uncovered bars into the dim interior where the parakeet lacked sense to have a heart attack on the spot. The ancients attributed the great owl wisdom I, more careful, attribute him the keenest appetite to find things out. So, tell me something, Owl. Were you using your intelligence or merely your inquisitiveness? It is all in the knowing what to look for, says Owl blandly, and makes no further answer. Owl knows about the bars of his prison, but his longing for that bird forces him to believe that one day the parakeets are going to give. He swoops to the side of the cage, clamps a grim array of talons around the wires, spreads his wings like Dracula's cape. Seen from over the the parakeet's shoulder, Owl is death's dark angel. The parakeet, squawking, sidles over to where those hooked toes are curved around the bars, pecks at them until Owl flies away. Owl turns around to glare. Or another day while the parakeet, whose silly name I refuse to record here, fusses around with something at the bottom of his cage. Owl's hope, springing eternally, tries one more time, hits the roof of the cage. He sights down between his feet the parakeet cocks one bright idiot bead of an eye upward. Like the hero who knows he can thrash the villain because that's the way it's written in his script, slow and kind of lazy-like, the parakeet uses beak over claw to hitch his way up from perch to perch until he can brace himself between his mirror and a roof bar, from which vantage point he bites the toes. Owl once more flaps off, from a safe distance tries to kill the parakeet with his hex. Several times a week, It is the parakeet's turn to fly free. He takes salad from a spider plant growing on a window shelf. Having nibbled a while at that, he decides to visit his old friend, Owl. He clings to the bars of Owl's cage, gibbering and peeping. Title of the picture, the convict's lawyer comes to visit him after the trial. Owl swivels his head. He must once have heard the phrase, shriveled him with a glance. He tries it on the parakeet, who yet again fails to shrivel. An owl, full stoic, faces front, looking out to nothing evolutionary reminder, in that along the shins and toes of Owl one sees suddenly the scaly skin of his lizard ancestors, also their curved needle talons. That was a chapter, folks. What Owl Knows It may be considerable, or perhaps he's merely a duat and is content to appear wise, and it's hard to quiz him on the subject. We were talking one night about such things as what the spider thinks about when it spins its web. The context was the distortion of web which occurs when the spinner has been fed experimentally hallucinogenic drugs. The spider's web, I said with a flourish, is the spider's thought. Now, and Now and then the question of Owl's intelligence comes up, but in his case I can't be so glib. The approach to the problem lies not through the great number of little things he has learned about our house and its inhabitants, but more to the constant zeal to find out. Jason was asleep behind a couch. He wheezed a little, his lips flapping in the exhale. Owl was not sure about that noise. He flew to the back of the couch, glanced down to see what was there. I was rewebbing some lawn chairs. Owl lit nearby, showed more steady interest in the dismal tangle than I ever could, and likewise his interest in Connie's new hat. He is used to packages in the house, a new one draws no more than a quick look. He goes over to the window to scout a large carton in the driveway and hoots his disapproval at it. A BB rolls on the floor, a match is struck, a toy truck squeaks as it rolls, a piece of paper flutters to the floor, and Owl attends. Yet, muttering to myself as I shuffle along, I go into a room where Owl is, and he does not even turn his head. I like to think he recognizes my footsteps. Note that Owl has divided dogs into two categories, Jason and all of the other ones. I'd like to test him with another golden retriever. The same with cats. All except Clagger provoke the same horn's up response and, if necessary, flight. We did test Owl with a young cat, Claggart's double, whom I recall, for the best possible reason, son of Harold Claggart. Whom I call, for the best possible reason, son of Harold Claggert. Owl spooked and took off. Now, almost any animal, even an inter- invertebrate, will explore its world to some extent, and given reward or punishment in an experiment, will learn appropriately to turn left or right to distinguish relevant patterns of light or sound, each animal according to its talents, to avoid punishment and or seek reward. Owl, however, may approach or permit to approach two animals who have never given him any tangible reward and, moreover, are the only two in his world who have ever rushed up to him close enough to scare him off. The rest, who have not really figured in his life at all, he avoids. He is not like the laboratory rat who learns one branch of that maze will give him a shock and so keeps to the other. Well, how did this discrimination develop? We'll have to be satisfied with partial answers. Whatever his feelings about Jason and Clackard, he has learned how they fit into his world. He flees the others as if it were ignorance itself, he feared. What about the fact that he at least trusts any strange person? Well, we know how it is with people. They all look alike. It's hard to tell one from another. Besides, people are not very furry. It is furry ignorance itself which he fears. I now hint at one fearsome exception to Owl's pronouncement, one which I have mentioned before, that paradoxical haunt of the mind which, not at all furry, still excites him... A state between fright and hate. I'd like to go on to say Owl chitters at the mere mention of it, but of course it is purely the thing itself. It belongs to a later section. As would be expected, Owl has learned all the approaches in the house. Which ones are slippery, like the banister, the wash basins, the bedposts, or may tilt and swing with a large wicker bread basket, the wooden salad spoon. Ones he can hit at a thousand miles an hour, like the neck of a standing gooseneck lamp in the arm of the sofa. Will's parakeet learned some of the same things, but in doing so spent much of its time in a panic, worrying about hitting glass, getting stuck behind a bookcase or under a washing machine. What was remarkable to Owl during the short period it took for him to complete his exploration of the house was the purposive way he did it. He would take readings on each prospective perch, his head swinging like a bob on a rubber band. Try it out, back to the original one, onto a familiar one, then back to the new one again. These short, careful flights crisscrossed the house for no apparent reason except to get it all mapped out, not just by eye, by wing, and by foot. The very last perch to be mapped was the pipe in the shower stall. Summer nights, when all doors are open, he flies up there in secret. His morning songs have wakened us more than once. I see him watching us over the top of the glass door, as I have discovered myself there are at least two pitches which resonate and, or echo off the tiles, and Owl has found one of them. It is oddly pleasant to be where Owl flies up the stairs, or glides down them. Owl keeps track of things, sometimes better than I do. I give him a chicken neck, and before long it's gone, I forget about it. But some days later, Owl brings out what looks like a finger bitten from a mummy. It would seem to be of purely archaeological, archaeological interest, but there he is, hooking onto it, twisting it, tucking it. For all I know, it may date not from three days, but three months before. He keeps them where it is hard to reach. Do you hoard them, Owl, or do you simply drop them when you're full and discover them later by accident? No answer. But Owl answer for him. He hoards. Many rodents do so. Not great wisdom is required. People hoard as well. We can call it neither vice nor virtue without knowing the circumstances. Glass has posed a special kind of test for Owl. He has learned about it, but he doesn't quite believe in it. Before he could really fly, he discovered the second hand of the stove clock and made one good try for it. He had given up on it, of course, but not until he made a few cautious, half-hearted little strikes from close up. Later, when Full Flood expanded his domain, he came across other electric clocks. Each second hand in turn drew that same pessimistic, I know it's no use, but anyway, sort of pounce. And for the same reason, the swinging glass pendulum inside a glass case clock stayed where it was. He seemed to know the setup wasn't honest, but he had a try. His first encounter with the tropical fish in my aquarium was a different matter. He hit the glass with full enthusiasm once. Now he watches them from a nearby bookshelf with the absorption of a true hobbyist. Knowing the difference between himself and an osprey, he has never tried to swoop on a fish from the top. For a few days, we kept a little brown snake, Storeria decai, in a jar. A number of snakes get brought to my house for identification. Each usually arrived, tags as a baby rattler or a copperhead, and invariably, so far, leaves the name sounding something like a toast lesser worm snake, An aquia nondescripta. Owl wanted that snake in badly. Unable to make it through the narrow mouth of the jar, he dropped down on the tabletop and bowed, giving the snake a big glare, swung his head, and then, which set the children to applauding, did a wonderful little dance in vexation all around the jar. The snake, meanwhile, was wriggling around in the patch of grass in the bottom. It was too much to be borne. Owl hopped, at the snake, and was not convinced until he had tried from several angles. It was easy to read fury in his movements and expression. Owl would be a good bird to put an intelligence test, which is not to say necessarily he would achieve a high score, but as we have seen, he is all too easily, easily motivated to try. He has a very decisive way of entering into situations, and one thing about that bird is that he pays attention. Teachers, parents, experimentalists will appreciate those qualities. As soon as time and ingenuity permit, I intend to set up some simple problem for which to challenge Owl. Now, for lack of relevant tests and scales, and for fear of falsifying up or down, I am not going to attempt in any firm comparative estimate to give Owl's intelligence a score. Instead, let us continue to observe him as he goes about his business. Fly, spy, exclaim, poke and pry, pick up and discard, watch, examine, stalk, strike, work and play, and be satisfied with his broad evaluation. An active and inquiring mind, if not a great one. Original and interesting, though short of true creativeness, practical rather than idealistic, pragmatic rather than insightful, at times mysterious in its workings, yet lacking the depth of mysticism, more retentive and systematic, a mind responsive to, perhaps even dominated by, the senses, yet above all respectful and acquisitive toward knowledge. Health Food Fanatic Owl is not one. Still, we had a Christmas cactus, all budded out and ready to be gift wrapped. Only owl got to it first and nipped off each little bud and ate it. Ever since the time he tore cellophane from a head of lettuce and had himself a quick, simple salad, that as, as a very young bird, that as a very young bird, we have seen to it that he gets his fruit and greens. I don't know whether he needs them or not, but he partakes with dainty messi- messiness. Berries, yes. Lemon and grapefruit, no. Orange, yes, with much beak smacking, somewhat like you or I would do with a lemon slice. Beans, carrots, potatoes, no. Onion, no. Any leafy green? Yes. Yes, and that he picks the greenery to pieces, some few of which he swallows. Owl was perched in a glass of water, I gave him a little spinach. He dipped he dipped it in the water, shredded some off, dipped the remainder again, on and on. You can watch an obsession like that only so long, and it begins to get on your nerves. When I returned, Owl was off somewhere, having left around the glass forty five. That's ten plus ten plus ten plus ten plus five spinach particles, and about ten more in the water. This grim counting business reminds me of that time an ominous herd of buzzards seemed to fill half the sky over our neighborhood. Knowing a close count would be more impressive than any guess of millions and millions. I ticked off squads of five while the buzzards m- milled obligingly around and around and drew an addition from additions from all horizons. I counted, recounted, made another estimate when they finally all headed off southeast, and by the time I found somebody to tell about it, I'd forgotten the number. (laughs) There were, sure, a lot of them, though. Why does Owl do these things? Since I can't get a reasonable answer, I suggest he doesn't know why himself. Perhaps he's losing his mind. A screech owl is not a lapdog. Ours, nevertheless, does not conform to the image of the lonely hunter in his forest, who just has two questions for anything that moves. Can I catch and eat it, or can it catch me? Owl, as we have seen, likes to be tweaked and groomed, especially around his head and neck. Pulled away before he has had enough, and a claw flicks out to retrieve the finger. You're A nice bird owl. As one works affectionately around the back of the head and towards the front again, one arrives at a small patch of dark feathers diagonally under the bill, which immediately triggers him response in kind. He nibbles back. This kind of activity, considered also his spontaneous pulling of earlobes, hair, eyebrows, may simply be a confused extension of what goes on between parent and offspring, and between courting owls in coldest springtime, Still in all, he's pretty good company. When my soul is at its most disturbed, I sometimes wonder, suppose while Owl nibbles a finger or earlobe, mine, anyone's, a raw chunk thereof were to strip off, and Owl had an unlimited appetite, and the person was unconscious, would Owl keep eating until the person was gone? I keep this macabre thought down there, where it belongs, in this footnote. At Table with Owl For a while, delightful novelty, while he oversaw us from the chandelier, or strode stiffly about amongst the supper things, or to show manners more precise than anyone's, balanced on the rim of a water glass and sipped, which divides the world into three classes, those who surreptitiously wipe the rim and those who just get right on with it. Connie's mother's bridge partner was over with us for breakfast, as was owl overhead on a cornice. The late morning Sunday sun seemed to slant from two sides at once, and in particular lit up our guest's plate. As I came back from the kitchen with the coffee pot, I noticed Owl beginning to lean forward into that diver's crouch of his, and I sat down with a sense of foreboding. Between eggs and sausage, our guest's wedge of tomato was gleaming like, like, well, whatever simile I was going to make doesn't matter. What matters, Owl's was like meat to sit as the talk goes on and to know a piece of the immediate future that no one else does or almost none other who doesn't know that you know, is to share, for a moment, the Prophet's power and woe. I suppose at the last second, for effect, I might have stretched my arm out to designate the tomato marked for destruction, but I didn't think of that. Anyway, Owl came down somewhere over my left shoulder and made his kill. Noise, laughter, commotion ensued. Owl glanced up and around, all businesslike, very stern in the midst of all the hubbubaloo. Hullabaloo. Record here Miss Tenney's name on the all-time list of good sports. Owl was not enthusiastic about tomato, but he was given a few mouthfuls of egg instead. Owl has been receiving few, if any further, invitations to dine with us. The novelty has given way to irritation. His bowels move best around mealtime. And who wants a wild-eyed barbarian dinner guest who, with beak claw and nasty noise, disputes every forkful with you? While howling children take a side in the contest and offer him consolation prizes any time he loses. Tufts. They're there. We presume they serve a purpose. Why is it that I will see something disturbing or suspicious his horns go up? Because he thinks that with such tufty ears and gleaming eyes and ferocious claws he looks like a lynx. He believes it. We won't argue. Sunbaths. What's this nocturnal bird of prey doing sunning himself? It seems kind of out of character. A bright patch of sunlight... On the kitchen floor, owl checks right, left, right again, and he locates the dozing claggard. then softly flies down to it. There is something special about these quiet landings. He sifts through the air through on feathers. He sifts the air through feathers as he lets himself down. Other times he seems to hit the perch as hard as he can. The gooseneck standing lamp he enjoys making go clung against the wall. Owl centers himself in the light, looks around once more and gradually extends, expands wings and tail feathers like fans out of the floor, a fine, brightly illuminated gray-brown display of Owl all spread out there, with watchful yellow eyes. Now Claggard is up and walking towards Owl, who, of late, no longer takes off. Claggard is a tangled wire pulled tight, and as he gets near, his walk becomes crabby and slow. Owl's head rotates to the cat's progress, but he does not gather himself up in the least, Will not interrupt his sunbath. The hard glare keeps the cat to a careful detour around Owl, even though he is close enough for an easy pounce. I don't know what game it is they're playing. I remind you of Claggart's pugnacity, which has been inscribed on in the skins of X number of dogs and 10X number of other tomcats. Although some few people, also some few people, although the case is not pugnacity, for the woman who grieves, why do these bite scratch me? The proper reply runs as follows. I am afraid your touch has overexcited him. You can calm him down by rubbing him under the chin. Happens to be the truth. Owl may also fly to a lampshade and stretch himself out over the flow of light and warm air up from the bulb. The light glows through every feather. He is a splendid lampshade himself. His sunbaths are odd, unowlish, but appealing. What I don't like is to see him go down to Jason's bowl and peck dog food out of it like some sidewalk pigeon. Hearts of That unpleasant, grating squawk is coming forth from Owl. We turn to see what's wrong and find out that there is one nasty-looking bird right there. He has elongated himself up to almost twice his usual stature, which still doesn't come to any imposing much at half his usual thickness. What shows most is a wide-open beak and a lot of pink mouth and tongue where the noise keeps coming from. His horns poke way up. His eyes are all yellow around dots of pupil. For God's sake, Owl, what is it? There is no longer any mystery about what sets him off to such a peak of bad feeling. The question is why. You may be somewhat disappointed in the class and range of objects he so detests. Broom or mop or axe handle, wooden rifle, baseball bat, fireplace poker, stick, long knife— anything at all like those. The object must be made to move and is somewhere near the vertical. If you hold the whatever it is at the horizontal, you may be able to sneak it by him without provoking an outburst, but once he's raged at it, he's not fooled, not soothed by your putting it level again. There is something quite not rational about Owl. I might even call him irrational, even anti-rational. I deny that Owl, deserve it or not, has ever been thrashed with a stick, broom handle, or anything nor has anyone tried to strike him in any way. No surprise then that he sits unperturbed when I come up to him with arm upraised, fist clenched. But if I bring a piece of kindling wood up to him, he usually shows his hate right to the last instant. Usually, inside a one-foot limit, he'll fly away. Several times he has dared to give the thing a bite. In generalizing about Owl's habit, I keep having to use often, usually, perhaps, and probably. On this topic, I use the word always. I have never known him to fail. There is a mechanical, stereotyped mindlessness in the way he will repeat the response over and over. Up goes the stick, up go the horns, and grrrrch! I can calm him by panning his head, stroking the excited tufts down again, then raise the stick, up the horns go again. A determined experimentalist would have found out by now how many times in rapid succession owl will react. I have tried five or six presentations, but quit after that because you get so unpleasant about it. We have no spare owls should this one give out. Well, now, here we have a package of behavior, not learned, resistant to change, dependable as a light switch, and with the same sort of inflexibility. In behavioristic psychology, the term for this sort of reaction was unconditioned reflex, and probably still is the term for it. The only noteworthy variation depends on how the thing comes at him. At his face level, or below, Owl stretches up as if trying to face the thing down from above, and Owl argues like from a crouch. Like nest-building in many birds, the reaction seems to have been written directly into the genes. I'm assuming our owl equals all screech owls. And what a creature is born with tends to be important to the species. It may be disastrous. There is no guarantee that any behavior pattern will promote the interests of a group throughout the course of evolution. Just the same innate strongly indicates important. Consider, also, the nature of his reaction. Real threats, such as a strange dog or cat coming up to him, he simply escapes, saving any display of disapproval until he gets to a safer spot. Shape in the night, bad bird in the sky, big carton in the driveway, such thing he hoots quietly at, as if to warn others. He grates at adversity, mishandling or food theft, while the erect tufts indicate a degree of fear, or at least excitement. The gaping beak is reserved for the appearance of the thing. I would think of it as an exception. The first time Owl went by car, the chaotic stream of world around the windows terrified him, and he put his fear-hate display up. You must have thought the world had all come unglued. La- Leah, at two and a half, climbed into a train just like any other building until, from a perfectly smooth start, the world began to ooze by. She was about as scared as Owl, but she recovered a little more quickly. I'd like to ask Owl what it is that, shaped like a stick, moves, and exacerbates screech owls so, knowing that since he has no sense of humor, he'll give a straight answer. But, since he has never lived in the forest where he might encounter the prototype of what we're discussing, he does not have an answer, so it's up to us. The first thing that comes to my mind is a snake, but Owl has been presented with a small live one, larger, freshly killed ones, a tube made to wriggle in a most snake-like fashion, and a lifelike plastic imitation. Owl coldly measures each of these for size, and if it's small enough, he goes for it. If large ones are too advanced for him, he simply takes off. I think of unlikely things, firearms, even the Indians bow and arrow, but nothing makes sense. Weasel perched upright? Squirrel? There's little point in a screech owl standing its ground considering from the viewpoint of the species or the individual survival it means to defend the nest what looks like a stick in rob's nests i give up i now transfer the subject from natural science to religion dr sam our esteemed neighbor is a, is a minister on his next visit, I intend to provoke Owl with a crucifix. Al will rage against it like the devil's nephew. That, or like an innocent soul possessed of the devil. In either case, Sam can make the decisions and deal with the problem on theological grounds. Whew. Hopefully I wasn't going too fast for you guys today. That's a good one. Um, Yeah, well, that's the, you know, reading for tonight. I hope, or today, whatever. I hope you enjoy. hope you come back for more. Um, there should be one or two more before we finish. We got thirty pages left. So we'll play it by ear. But um, thank you for listening and I will see you soon. Enjoy the rest of your night.